0: Welcome back to Always Evolving. I have a great guest today who is gonna help us figure out what's real, what's not real. We're living in a time where it's pretty confusing, where everyone thinks that they know the truth. We have Dr. Sander Van Dern Linden. I didn't quite say that right, right doc? That's all right, Van Der Linden, kind of like Van Der Beek. But Lyndon, and and can you explain? We're going to be talking about what's the truth and why stuff goes viral, mm-hmm. and can you kind of give, a uh, kind of general outline of why why are you someone we should trust? Well, that's a great question. I mean,
1: I don't. I think trust is a is a concept that you earn uh, by displaying trustworthy behavior, and I think that's often you know one of the interesting things about trust in terms of how we study it is that we always advise people to to display trustworthiness uh, and that, you know, that revolves around honest communication and informing people rather than necessarily trying to persuade them of a, of a particular point. And as a scientist, uh, I try to give people uh, a broad overview of the evidence so that they can then make their own judgment uh, um, as to what's real and what's fake. And that's really a lot of what we do revolves around empowering people to make better decisions for themselves. So I think that's a key part. So I wouldn't say, trust me because I'm an
0: expert. I would say, listen to what we have to say and then make up your own mind. You're a professor of social psychology and society in the department of psychology at the university of Cambridge. That's right. And you're also the director of the Cambridge social decision making lab. That's right. We study how people make decisions. Now, what got you really interested in studying this? Yeah, you know, when I was
1: uh, young, I, I always was fascinated about trying to understand why people do what they do. Um, and I had a teacher and, and one of the questions that he asked in the class was, try try to give us an answer as to why do you do what you do when you do it? And I think that was such a great question that it really got me thinking about you know, why is it that we choose to do what we do when we do it in a particular situation? And obviously psychology provides a uh, a sort of systematic approach to trying to understand that problem. I mean, there's other disciplines like sociology and and so on of of people trying to understand uh, society. But I think from an individual level perspective that that I I really found that intriguing. I used to... um, prank my friends a lot to try to understand how they would respond to a problem, uh, and I really, you know, it sounds kind of uh, interesting, but I really enjoyed that process because you can, you can. I figured out you can learn a lot about people by kind of observing them in a, in a particular situation, and I started experimenting on my friends a little bit, and it soon became clear that I was quite the experimentalist in terms of uh, trying to understand behavior, so that ultimately led me to, to try pursue psychology.
0: And, and what, what have you found in the research that you've done that is pretty relatable to what we're currently in with the times?
1: Yeah. So, you know, part of what I study, you know, my core discipline is influence and persuasion. So I try to understand how people are influenced by information by other people um, and uh, how we're persuaded and how that process works. But then the flip side of it is that we try to understand how to help people resist persuasion when they don't want to be persuaded or when, uh, you know, it's likely that they're manipulated by uh, false information or misleading information. So that's kind of what uh, our program of research revolves around. And one of the things we found. is that, um, yes, you know, the brain is easily misled by lots of things, you know, by other people, by the way we say things, how we say it, uh, by how information is framed, presented. Um, But on the on the positive side, you can help people spot misleading techniques and you can help people resist persuasion attempts, kind of defang uh, attempts to manipulate uh,
0: when we don't want it. And why do you think it is that even with evidence and with fact, right, let's say truth, because Uh, you know, and obviously there's different versions of the truth and there's perception of the truth and what's real, but what I've found really interesting, especially since my background is working with celebrities and advising them is that when somebody loves someone, even though they haven't met them, they have a belief about them. And it's almost like, even with evidence that they may not be that person. Why is it that a fan can't change their belief even when the truth is there? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, You know, we can unpack that at at different
1: levels. So, you know, if we want to start really basic, a lot of people think that what, what they see is essentially what's there, but that's not necessarily the case. If you think about how human vision works, it's not so much that light bounces off of an object and reflects back onto your retina, and then it's processed by the visual cortex in your brain, and then the image appears. I mean, part of that's true, but the other part is that the brain is trying to make a, uh, a guesstimate, essentially, of what it's seeing based on information in your environment, based on cues in your environment. So uh, the reason why we're susceptible to uh, illusions, uh, visual illusions, is because the brain in part is trying to make predictions of uh, of what's there uh, and that can be misleading and that's what they you know partly that's what they reveal um, so what we know is that part of what you see is based on what you want to see, based on your experience of what you expect to see, of what you want to be there. Uh, And that, you know, plays into how people perceive the world on a larger level. So we know that that's true on a very basic level. But then if you go to real world sort of situations, what happens is that um, we often have a desire to process information in a way that's consistent with how we prefer to, to see the world and how we construe our own identities and realities. And There are different terms for that. Some people say confirmation bias. Some people say motivated reasoning. Uh, But what they mean by that is that the brain's actually faster at processing stuff that you're already familiar with or that you already agree with. So you know, if we do an experiment and ask you to read things or process things and look at the sheer time it takes someone, um, if you read something you you agree with completely, the the brain's very fast at processing that. If you read something that's opposed to what you believe, it takes people a lot more time to try to digest what's going on there. And so there's this natural resistance uh, to stuff, to being confronted with stuff that doesn't jive with what you already uh, believe and want to be true. And those motivations can be quite complex. Sometimes the motivations come from the fact that you have important relationships with other people that dictate how you want to see the world or
0: what your reality is, and sometimes that conflicts uh, with that. So, can you give me an example of something that's like we've a, a situation we've all seen in the media and your like interpretations yeah. of it? Sure. I mean,
1: you know, let's you know let, let let's pick a famous example. Uh, let's pick Trump's inauguration turnout. That was all over the news with the photos of uh, of how many people were present. I think it's an interesting example, and I use it in my book actually because one, of course, we don't know the actual number. I mean, people scientists can make estimates, but it's not important. What's important is that people are perceiving, looking at the same picture of how many people turn out to that inauguration, and coming at very very different conclusions of how many people were there. Um, And I'm not, you know, I'm not... There there is some objective estimate or a range of estimates, but the interesting thing is why people diverge. And I think that has to do with the fact that, again, when you're looking at the same truth and the same evidence, uh, people come to different interpretations because you have a strong prior belief or identity that weighs in in terms of how you want reality to be constructed. Now, if you're uh, a Trump fan, you're going to see more people present in that picture, or it looks like a larger share than, let's say, if you were a liberal or a Democrat. You're going to see a slightly different picture uh, and that's even regardless of the ground truth uh, but your perception will be colored in that specific case by your political beliefs because it's why, a political situation let
0: me, yeah so let me ask you because i'm i would suggest in some very like why couldn't someone look at the photo even if they don't like donald trump and go oh wow There's a lot of people or, oh, why does it have to be painted through some lens that it's, um, that it's a failure? Like, why is that important to a person?
1: Yeah, I think, you know, it also has to do with the narrative around it. I think in an ideal scenario, you know, in an ideal sort of situation, we'd have people look at look at these things and say, look, I like Trump, but uh, yeah, there weren't as many people present as in other inaugurations. And that would be a a rational uh, thing to say. But um, when you prime people... To view the world through a particular identity, in this case a political identity, it, it kind of takes over a lot of our uh, information processing space, and so uh, it has to do with the fact that these identities become salient when you pressure people in a certain situation. So this is a political situation, but it could be a personal situation too. You know, when you confront a celebrity uh, with a problem they're not willing to deal with, the fact is that you're you're putting them in a pres- in a defensive position, which is not conducive to that type of reasoning that you're hoping to elicit from them. People don't become more open-minded uh, when you directly confront them uh, with something that challenges their belief. And I think that's, that's one of the key um, sort of takeaways with this.
0: Well, let me ask you, cause I had this moment that happened on Twitter, actually. Basically I watched uh, the Michael Jackson documentary, Finding Neverland. I don't know if you've seen it now. I can tell you, and I'm not just talking about this documentary, but any documentary, it's just someone's version of the truth telling a story. You know, we like to believe that this documentaries uh, are truth, but really it's a lens at which somebody wants to tell a story, right? And anyone can be edited any such way to tell a story and... I remember afterwards, I tweeted out something like, uh, you know, my heart goes out to the people who were victims of, you know, sexual abuse or what happened. And, and uh, I've met Wade Robson before who was in the documentary. And I wasn't even accusing I just anyone that has to go through an experience uh, of sexual abuse is just horrible. And I literally had 1000s of Michael Jackson fans coming after me, I had some like, Reporter calling me a loser, and and it was very interesting. A lot of these people have probably never met Michael Jackson. They probably, uh, just like me, don't know all the details of the story. But the intensity at which someone who doesn't even know anyone would go a thousand percent, this is the truth, without any critical thinking, or going, why are you lashing out at me? What do you actually think is happening? Do you think that I'm going to suddenly be more open to your ideas when you insult me? And and it's just an interesting approach. I know you talk about that with the whole trolling online, but to me I was just like what what, what are you guys so p- passionate about? Like yeah.
1: respectfully they- he's dead. No, absolutely. I mean, that's that's not how you're going to get a, a more sort of open-minded uh, way of, of thinking from people. And, you know, the Michael Jackson example is interesting because uh, you, you you tend to get this type of response uh, by, again, making a certain identity salient. For most people, Michael Jackson isn't necessarily a, a polarizing figure, but, but for people who are either diehard fans or victims, you know, for those groups, it might be quite intense, right? But what's happening... Is that at a deeper level, and this is something we call cognitive dissonance. And so, essentially, what, what's happening here, the dissonance, is that you're being confronted with a situation where either you're going to have to change your beliefs about a person, or you're going to have to change your, uh, essentially, your your own behavior and thinking. And so, 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 you know, when you're confronted with the choice of I'm going to reject those facts, that evidence. Or I have to change part of who I am and and who I affiliate with. Which which of the two is the easier choice, right? But, why, so most but
0: of- yeah, but to that point, why is it so important for someone to defend a singer who's not alive as if like to me? I'm like, where where does someone's brain go? I'm gonna thought police other people's versions. Of their own thoughts and feelings, it's just—it's very odd to me because it seems like a waste of energy.
1: Yeah, I think it's a—it's—it's it's very much a function of how much do you, have you invested in a particular view of the world, or particular person, or affiliation, and and I think that's that's the key driver and the motivation here for people to do things is that if you define part of who you are. Quite strongly, uh, let's say as a Michael Jackson fan, then this is going to be a big, big problem for you. Uh, if you're a Woody Allen fan, uh, any, any controversial sort of political debate um, if you uh, take that example right let's say you like uh, Woody Allen movies but you don't like uh, some of the stories that are uh, that are online you know relating to to, to his person um, now you're in a situation where you're either going to have to change how you view that person and whether or not you like that person or you might reject some of the evidence that's out there and often often changing your own views your own thinking your own affiliation that's that's not the easy option for people. Uh, and so the easier option is just to reject what you hear and see. And, and I think that's often what's uh, what's happening. But it is very much related to how much you're invested in it. people who do not strongly identify, who don't have a strong connection with someone. You don't you, you typically don't see that kind of problem there.
0: Well, well, yeah, I mean, I'm not typically invested in anyone that I've never met or spoken to. I just think that's so bizarre. Uh, and, and even though I'm, I work in entertainment and such and I'm around celebrities, I think it's so bizarre that people are obsessively committed to somebody being a certain identity when they've never even spoken to them, met them, talked to them. And I just and maybe it's always existed. And now those people just have more free range because there's social media to express their opinions. And before they would just show up at the hotel and sleep there for two days. And, and that was just some version of it. But like, you talk about the art kind of of persuasion and how to have something go viral and persuade people a certain type of way. And, and what have you found?
1: Yeah, so we were looking at, why, you know, why does stuff go viral? Uh, and in particular, uh, positive things. I was, for change, I was interesting. You know, I do a lot of stuff on fake news and hostility and and polarization gets a bit depressing sometimes. So we also look (laughs) at the positive side of uh, of things and why do good things go viral? And I started looking at, at all of these big campaigns and I was fascinated by the, The Ice Bucket Challenge. I don't know if you remember that from 2016. Did you participate in it, Mike? Did you? uh, uh, I did not. not,
0: You know, to be honest, and I'm all about I probably donated money, Uh but I'm the opposite. I'm the guy when it becomes so popular and mainstream, even a movie. I'm the one that's like, I'm good. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. So, so
1: that, you know, a lot, of, and that's the thing, you know, a lot of people donated and didn't necessarily participate in in that campaign, yeah. but I was fascinated by it because I was like, why are people outside pouring a bucket of ice water over their heads? You know, that's a commitment. Uh, and, uh, and it's really interesting. So I started studying that. Um, and, uh, you know, obviously they raised a huge amount of money for a very important cause, but, um, I was, I was looking at, it was the most unprecedented viral campaign at that time. You know, it was huge mm-hmm. on Facebook, um, um And it was... I realized after a while, it was just brilliant the way they constructed that campaign because it actually involved, how does it spread? It spreads because you have to tag other people in your social network, challenge them directly. And who, who wants to be a bad person? If somebody tags you on Facebook and say, you know, donate to this good cause and you say, no, thanks publicly on your Facebook, that's not going to look yeah. good, right? And so, um, you know, it, it went viral. Um, it also had this moral element. It's just really, you know, devastating disease. It's an important cause. Um, and and so I started noticing these ingredients just sort of looking at other campaigns that went viral on Facebook and, and elsewhere and um, that's where I really uh, th- this analogy came from of, of what I call smart campaigns and smart campaigns include um, social factors so social influence so you challenge other people and you see other people mm-hmm. doing it and you know it becomes very important for you socially because it's happening in your network uh, it has a, a kind of a moral cause to it um, and uh, uh, it's emotional so you know whether it's positive or negative a lot of these things are emotional. Even a, a cat video is emotional because it, it makes you feel something that makes you want to share it, right? Um, and so it has a lot of uh, a lot of these ingredients, um, and that's kind of what we looked at. Um, but then the bad thing, I would say bad thing. I mean, the, the not-so-good thing is that what I found is that this is what I call the half-life of online altruism, is that when stuff goes viral that quickly and that massively, it, it just burns out immediately after. So they tried to redo the campaign the year after. It didn't work. And that's, I think, because, you know, it, it was branded as this one-off thing and it goes viral and everyone thinks that they've done it. And now they're in the psychology of, yeah, I've been there, done that. I'm not going to continue engage with that cause. And that was, that was really striking to me. And then I started looking at, are there other causes that, have grown slower but more sustainably, and you know there's a few. And one interesting example was the No Shave November movement, which started out with a bunch of dudes uh, and and gr- has grown into a big societal movement. Not just anymore about men's issues, but but you know including lots of other people's issues. Um, and they they grew fast, but not as viral. Uh, but they raised the same amount just over a longer period and they're still going in contrast so sometimes actually the the slow burn can be the more sustainable approach to 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 these sort of campaigns
0: do you find that there's um and, and by the way it's me I, I created something called the best self challenge i talked about in my last book one decision i thought it was going to be the biggest thing ever i dressed up like a white walker it took me 2 <laughs> hours to put contacts in i was absolutely uh-huh. my eyes i feel like i practically blinded myself and then some people engaged but it it was a very it, it was very hard to to get the engagement but do you find that like right now what went viral is the girl who did have you seen the gorilla hairspray no no okay this girl sprayed her hair instead of using hairspray she used gorilla glue and essentially <sighs> uh her hair became a just you know uh uh basically it was like a steel uh, enclosed uh covering on her head and she she kind of went viral and it seems like a lot of the stuff that I've seen that goes viral whether it's Tekashi 69 who's like a hip-hop guy or there seems to be a lot of like what's shocking I mean or the guy who I guess is you know doing a skateboard and uh is singing Stevie Nicks that goes viral but it's like do you find that there's more that is shocking and that's why it goes viral or is it more because there's a cause related or yeah, no. So
1: what I was looking at was specifically for cause-related campaigns. I should say that, um, and and you know, because one other factor that wasn't in there that you just mentioned that's very important is novelty, which includes the shock factor and new things. And one of the most important things of why things go viral is also its novelty, uh, and uh, and that's a factor too, uh, which isn't always specific to a cause, but but here that's that's uh, you know, the 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 cat the cat zoom, you know. Some guy thinks that uh, he's he's logging on, but but really he's talking as a cat. Right. Um, and and so you know it's novel. People think it's funny. Uh, it goes viral. So that's 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 you know that's part of it too. But I guess the the question I was posing in this research was well, if you are successful w- with using some of these ingredients and getting the initial virality, how are you going to sustain it? Because it seems to be a paradox that. Uh, viral growth of that magnitude cannot be sustained indefinitely. It just never happens almost. And, and almost, you know, uh, it it seems like that isn't even possible or feasible. So the question is kind of what, what do you leverage it into?
0: Well, what, what advice do you have for someone who is wanting to get uh, more engagement, grow their social media, persuade more people to care about them? You know, I always say when I'm working with brands or clients, Uh, who are looking to grow, I always go, well, why does anyone care, right? Like, (laughs) give someone a reason to care, because otherwise, how are they going to subscribe or get into considering there's millions of options? But have you been able to kind of take a look at like, what is really helpful for someone who's wanting to grow their presence? Or
1: yeah, I mean, generally, I mean, the the fact is, I've sort of identified it pretty general, but I think it's useful to consider. You know, people often ask me, you know, why isn't climate change going viral as a as a as a cause? You know, or uh, why, you know, we need we need we need more uh, traction on on you know getting people on board with these big issues. And it's sort of like, well. Um, you know, the w- the way that it's presented to people isn't, it isn't, you know, always that attractive for people to join that cause. You know, if you have a cause, it, you know, if you want to increase your own presence, I think making it inherently... Social is 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 absolutely crucial, and so the the one thing about the LS campaign that they did so nicely was that it inc- it requires other people to actively join and and challenge other people. So that's an important ingredient. But also, people were seeing their friends and peers participate. So in a typical experiment, you know, let me give you a mundane situation. If you go to a museum and you ask people to donate, um, let's let's say I put a box there and and I put nothing in there. Nobody's going to donate. If I manipulate that box and I put lots of cash and lots of coins in there, all of a sudden people are going to throw in lots of money because they think that that's the norm, right? Well, and yeah, so you, you know,
0: you 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 bring up this point, which I, I, and I've been saying this and for the people who listen to this podcast, I've been like, you know, I, I kind of vacillate and I, and I never, I, I tried not to be in a place of being a quote hater, right? Like I see in my space, all these coaches, and they buy their followers and they preach authenticity and preach, just be yourself and put out content that represents who you are. Well, you can go to this website called socialblade.com. You pull it up. You can look at it from Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and you can go on Instagram. You type in their name and it's going to tell you what their engagement is, how many comments they get, And what I found, it's, it's interesting you say that because I refuse to do that, right? Like I refuse to do what a lot of my peers are doing, which is optically presenting themselves as being five times as large as me in terms of following. But the reality is I have more engagement and I have 20% and I get more, and I, and I just find that it works for a lot of people because there's this optic no one's like going on social blade and let me go check and the consumer even doesn't even realize that people are buying followers and they believe like a hundred million people are not following kevin hart okay (laughs) a hundred million people aren't yeah it's not true a hundred million people aren't now maybe his manager bought followers or someone did it behind the scenes, but I do not believe for a second, a hundred million people are into Kevin Hart. I don't, you know, and I, and I think that there's this optic and he's not a peer of mine and I'm not mean to call him out. He's a very funny guy, but I just think like if you look at Instagram and what adults are doing to be perceived as more popular, it's just ridiculous to me, but it works in persuading people to believe you're bigger than what you are. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree with you. And
1: and I should say that, um, you know, this is called false amplification and we help people spot false amplification in a lot of our uh, interventions like buying fake followers and, and stuff like that. So I, I think a good way to see it is to, an ethical way to see it is to try to use your presence in a way that uh, that creates social engagement. So, you know, the content, you got to put out stuff that people want to share with other people because it has some social value. I think that's the key mm-hmm. thing, that if you're putting out content and it has no social value, people are not going to share it. Maybe you want to connect with other people who have big social networks so that you could, you know, you could leverage a, a larger sort of uh, audience. Uh, so there's, yeah, I think ethical ways to, to use social influence. Um, but I completely agree with you that a lot of people use it in a bad way and that they're they're kind of falsely amplifying their their own uh, optics, but have very low actual engagement. And of course, it's much more important to have deep and, and meaningful engagement than to, 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 to look like you have a lot of followers. So I absolutely agree
0: with that. And, and, and But that is a way of persuading someone if they're not knowing on the other end, is the optic that you're very important you know that you're very popular that you're missing out if you're not following that person let's say or if you're not buying that product or this is the biggest product all these people are using so you should use this product like that's probably part of this art of persuasion to get people to subscribe or buy you or your brand or what you're selling right?
1: Yeah. It's a classic uh, technique. It's the social influence technique, you know, so we call it social proof. If other people are doing it, then it must be something interesting. Uh, and you know, that, that goes into, you know, one of the, the universal principles of, of influence is uh, uh, or persuasion is, is social influence. Um, so go through and, with yeah. me the universe.
0: Yeah. yeah. Go through with me the elements of persuasion for good or bad. And I know that I'm, I, and I understand we go both ways. I think sometimes, I can get a little frustrated with social media just because I'm like, like I just even posted this video yesterday for Valentine's day. Cause I saw all these posts of people just, you know, starting to be in love and whatever else I'm like, do you need to tell me like, do, does it really, are you trying to persuade me that you guys are in love? So I go, you guys are so cute. Is it that, and I'm not saying someone shouldn't share aspects of their life, but I also know a lot sure. of relation. I've, I've worked with so many couples and I see them posting how in love they are. And I'm like, they don't even sleep in the same bedroom, you know? And, I, but I guess it's persuading people that everything's okay, but go, with, go through with me the persuasions.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Some of the key principles. And again, for good or bad, because there are some good reasons of why we pay attention to them, even when they're being misused. So, um, you know, one of the one of the big ones that we, we just covered, which is social proof, you know, lots of other people are doing it. We kind of distinguish what we call descriptive norms, which is information about what other people are doing versus prescriptive norms, which uh, which is basically um, somebody else telling you what to do. Um, and it's an, it's interesting to distinguish between those two because it's different. It's if, if you see a lot of people adopting a behavior that sends a cue to you that, you know, that's something you might want to consider. But a lot of people telling you what to do, pressuring you what to do is much more direct form of social influence um, right. and so yeah they're, they're they're slightly different uh then there's expert authority you know you started out with the joke of why why should we trust the experts uh uh you know sometimes it's obviously for legitimate reasons so but the other first
0: times- the first sorry so, sorry doctor but the first headline is if you were to like put it in a box you would call it what
1: so the first one was social proof so social the proof. second social proof yeah proof that others have validated a behavior or opinion because that's okay. really what people want to know is this socially acceptable um and if everyone's doing it then that's the cue that that, that must be valuable um and, you know, again, I want to stress that this comes from a place of, uh, of intuitive reason. Uh, there, there's this classic experiment where they have a bunch of people at the end of the street, a street corner, they're just looking up to the sky. And the, these are confederates of the experiment, right? Uh, and then they have people, actual people walk by and they wonder if, if people will automatically look up and take that as social proof that something's happening. And so what they found is that if it's a, just a few people on the end of the street, uh, at the corner, not a lot of people look up. But the, the larger the crowd, the more people start to look up before they reach the, the crowd. And, and that has a legitimate reason. If, mm. if aliens were coming down, who knows what's going on? If a plane's crashing, who knows what's going on, right? Yeah. And so it, it has value for you. It's a low cost sort of thing for you to follow the crowd uh, and see what's going on. But at other times, people can use it to mislead you. And so that's, you know, that's the, the both sides of the story. And it's the same with the next principle, you know, expert authority. People are more mm. persuaded by, by experts who have, you know, you have credentials, Mike, if you use them, you can use them for persuasive purposes. You know, other people can use their credentials for persuasive purposes. And sometimes that's legitimate because they, they're trained and specialized and, and, and it's useful. Um, and you know, the problem is that we see a lot of, uh, you know, critiques of, of elites and a lot of distrust among, um, uh, you know, scientific authorities, which is very problematic. Uh, but, but sometimes, you know, people can abuse their credentials as well. So it, it's good to pay attention to that. Um, Another one's called reciprocity. Um, and that's, you know, that's that's really an, an interesting and an important one is that, you know, we we are social beings. Um, people very much care about tit for tat. Um, hmm. and it, you know, if you do something for me, I'll do something for you. Um, and the way that that's implemented in a in a daily situation if you want to use it as a tactic, you know, people will say, you know, if you do something nice for someone and they say, "Oh, you know, thanks." You say don't worry, I know you would have done the same for me. Um, and that, you know, that creates a sense of reciprocity between two people. Uh, and so that is a, very much a, a principle of, of, uh, of persuasion. In a lot of situations, um, it's, it's sort of a tit-for-tat technique that, uh, that people are leveraging uh, that creates a, a sort of a persuasive element. Um, so that's another, you know, another principle and then you know, I don't want you know, there there's there's a bunch of them. Um but I think these are uh, these are some of the uh some of the key ones that y- you can get people to commit uh through this principle of uh, of reciprocity. Um for example, if you want something from somebody.
0: So, but reciprocity doesn't work in terms of um being uh outside of a, a in your personal life. Like does it show up in ways of, of a brand um yeah I mean, I guess reciprocity would be like buy three, get one free, or yeah uh, get a discount code or kind of giving someone some incentive to buy something, i suppose right
1: yeah yeah that's a clever way of thinking about it you know the the you know three for one it's kind of yeah. you know i do you i do something for you you know i get, so it's 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 a very kind of uh basic principle. Same with the expert one, as you said, you know, the cereal box, nine out of 10, you know, pediatricians recommend this this breakfast Sorry. cereal. Uh, and so, you know, whatever. Um, and so, you know, it, it gets to people. Um, and that that's only natural. Um, and um, there's another, there's a related concept called uh, uh, pre by uh, my colleague, uh, Bob Cialdini, um, who, who's, uh, who's really interesting. Uh, pre is all about getting people ready to be in the mindset of being persuaded, because a lot of people aren't open to persuasion, mm. and so um, as we've just talked about, you know, people are in a very different mindset. They want to persuade you, uh, for example, instead of you persuading them. And so, mm. the, this idea of pre-suasion is getting people ready to to be open to to persuasion. That's really the first step. And then I spend a lot of my time actually trying to
0: uh, to help people recognize and resist persuasion. Got it. And so, so this, that's the other side of it is in terms of being resisted to persuasion, what are the the kind of um, different categories?
1: Yeah, and so we, we've kind of identified what we call the, the six degrees of manipulation. Um, and uh, they're sort of the flip side of some of these, of some of these concepts. So the first level, and through some of our game gamified interventions that we have, that we train people on, is, uh, is one called impersonation. So you see impersonation in lots of forms, but, um, you could you could impersonate a, a politician, uh, but often it's an expert. People are impersonating experts. Uh, with COVID, you see that you know a lot of people will impersonate a medical sort of identity mm-hmm. to try to sell you all kinds of. You know, health crap that doesn't work, uh, but they will make money off of it. Um, you also see it in the forums of, um, you know, there was, a, there was actually one of the example that we modeled it off was uh, somebody who created uh, a Twitter account for Warren Buffett, uh, misspelled. Buffett, the last name, so it wasn't his actual account, gained hundreds of thousands of followers in a very short amount of time, but they were just tweeting out nonsense, you know, invest in what makes you happy. Um, and, um, you know, that's, so, so that's, you know, a big one sort of impersonating okay. uh, other people, which includes the sort of, you know, fake experts, uh, and things like that. And, and so we help people sort of recognize, uh, impersonation. Uh, the second big one is the use of emotions to persuade people, including mm. fear mongering, um, and other, and other techniques. Um, and that, you know, that's a really common one. You know, you'll see, you can write the same headline, the same news story and say, you know, horrific, terrible uh, event. Or you could say, you know, um, there was a negative outcome
0: uh, for, for some event. Right? Or people stepped up. I mean, it's really however you want to frame it, right?
1: Yeah, it's very much related to, to framing and using using emotions to frame things for people, because that's also part partly what contributes to, to polarization. Is that you could you could have an, a not so favorable headline about a political candidate or a president, but there's different ways of, of phrasing it uh, by yeah. by framing the headline in a very emotional way. You get people riled up from the outset because it's negative or it's you know or it's positive. But um, so that you know the use of emotions is is uh, is very um, prevalent. Also also, in, in fearmongering, you know, a lot of conspiracy theories will involve <laughs> elements of fear and trying to get people to, um, you know, be scared of something um, or scared of other groups of people. Um, and so that's, you know, that's a very common technique that's used to, to manipulate people. Okay. And then we got that's um, another. So polarization is another technique, and that's that's really what one is of it my called? favorite. Polarization. Ones. Polarization, yeah. Polarization. So uh, polarizing. It's kind of like. Pol- yeah, polarizing. It's, it's one of my favorite ones because it's hard for people to to wrap their heads around that one. So often we, in our training, we give people examples of, of polarizing content. But, but the thing is, the, the example might be polarizing for you because you're in the group that doesn't like the, the post that we just showed about somebody. And then we show the, the exact same post about the other group. And then we tell people, look, it isn't about the content of it. This sort of stuff is just designed... To make you want to hate the other group even more, uh, and you got to recognize that when it when it's out there, that sometimes it's not about the actual content. It's not what the other person has done, whether it's a celebrity or a politician, mm-hmm. you know. And you already have your prior feelings and beliefs about this person. This is written in a way to, to polarize two camps further, and that's you know that's only not a good thing. So that's polarization. And yeah, then uh, you know we have discrediting, which is which is about discrediting other people using uh, techniques like your your fake news is one of the biggest ones now. Essentially, if you don't like somebody else's opinion, they're, they're fake news. Uh, but it includes things like ad hominem attacks. So attacking the person rather than the content uh, of Yeah, what like I'll writing. sometimes
0: get people go, he's a life coach. What does he know? Meanwhile, like I've owned a treatment center for over 15 years and two books made New York Times. Uh, you know, like I've done so many, I was a counselor, but it's a very yeah. quick discrediting. Um, because they don't know the story, and and by the way, someone could still not like me or want to work with me, and I'm not for everyone. But there's, uh, sure. I think there's a quick discrediting, and the same could apply if someone's a doctor; they can get discredited really quickly because they went through academics these days. You know, I've seen it every which way, where there's like a a label becomes somehow triggering to someone's instant reaction instead of getting to know someone.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. And the ad hominem attack is all about finding something that's completely irrelevant about the person and then using that to discredit their le- legitimacy. Uh, uh, exactly. And that it's, it's used so much and people do really fall for it because it's an easy, yeah, uh, it's an easy one. And so, yeah, so that's, you know, we help people identify that and try to, try to sort of resist that because um, discredit, especially in, in, I, I suppose in, yeah, in your field, and and so you know, it happens a lot with celebrities too. Actually, that uh, you know, a lot of attempts to discredit uh, a particular individual uh, just uh, because you know you, you, you don't like them. Um, yeah, and no, so that's seemed- and
0: I've and I've experienced it where I've been discredit. Like you, the thing is, like when somebody wants to, how should I say this? When somebody wants to not have any accountability. I, what I find is a very quick thing someone can go to is discrediting black and white, which would be polarization, so that the person can continue to do uh, what they want to do and blame. You know what I mean? Yeah, definitely.
1: Yeah, um, yeah no, I fully agree. Um, So that's that's a potent one. Uh, Yeah. And then sort of the last one that we already talked about a little bit is trolling um, and and the sort of, you know, and what to do there. And, I I, you know, I find it even in my own field, you know, I I find it difficult because it's it's so easy to get baited by a troll and to engage with them um, especially if they appear to be legitimate or they have a large audience um, and i see it all the time with colleagues too you know there there are some let's say you know i don't know you have uh, your 100,000 twitter followers and some other some other guy is, is essentially trolling you with a big audience uh, and tr- trying to bait you uh, into engaging with them and uh, and people weigh the options you know they think look i think it's helpful to try to weigh the options if you, if you engage more people actually see the troll right they now they're getting notified. Yeah. They see a response. They get a larger audience because now all of the, your friends and friends of your friends are seeing what they wrote about you. Uh, and then you engage and you up the popularity of the whole discussion. And is ultimately, is that a good thing? Sometimes, you know, you just got to respond. Sometimes it could because-
0: be if you're, if you're trying to pull on someone's emotions for justice and... You know, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And it comes together that you could
1: use the, the emotion technique is often paired with the trolling attempt. That's definitely. And also the ad hominem attack comes in. Um, and so trolling kind of, that's a, it's, it's an interesting one because it all sort of comes together in the, in the, in the trolling attempt. Um, but yeah, it's difficult for people to resist because you just got to tune out and, uh, and let them sit in their own, um, you know, in their own echo chamber with the low engagement on a, on a tweet until they get bored of it. Um, and that's, you know, um, it's, difficult for people to do but you know as they say don't feed the troll well i, th-
0: I think also it's in- what's interesting and dr phil always says never give energy to the lower energy because if you do then you're matching that energy well that's and what, i've yeah. learned a lot from him with doing that you know i i always find it um i find it interesting that uh a lot of the people that somehow get called like i do not troll people okay mm-hmm. Like I don't go on and troll people, I don't make fake accounts and troll people. I never have. Even if in and, and what I find is a lot of the people that when I've re, when I've looked at some profiles and like figured out who some people are is they'll say in their bios like they're mental health advocates or they're anti-bullying. And I think they really <laughs> anti-bullying. lack a way. Yeah. Oh yeah. I think mm-hmm. they completely lack awareness and somehow believe their behavior is justified. It's a, it's very immature. And I find this is with adults. This isn't just with like kids or sure, younger yeah. people. And it's just interesting to me that someone would take the energy to go on someone else's account say something negative, I just don't, I don't understand the um, objective.
1: Yeah. Well, you got to see it from their perspective. You know, what's, what's interesting is that I I do a lot of research on, things like you know conspiracies and fake news and 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 to try to understand what goes on and 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 there's a lot of trolling there too you know but dark stuff you know and a lot of in in our in our online simulations we we let people go through what it's like this is a bit you know intense but we let people go through a simulation of what it's like to troll victims of uh, uh of of an airplane crash for example because that's the stuff that's really happening people trolling the boston bombing victims because they don't think it was it was real right or uh and it gets really dark and I think you have to imagine that the people who are doing this, they feel marginalized. They feel that people are not listening to them. Um, you know, they've, they've sort of lost touch with reality. Um, and they're very upset and they're very angry and they don't feel, um, connected, um, to, uh, you know, they, they perceive uh, illegitimate elites uh, and, and uh, sort of authority figures as threatening them. Um, they don't have, uh, the same kind of level of, of influence as the people that they, uh, accused of, of conspiring um, and generally just feel like they've gotten the short end of the stick. And so in an approach that I've adopted, I get emails all the time from conspiracy theorists and, and, you know, one about how Shakespeare didn't write his own sonnets. And this guy was convinced and just emailed me on a daily basis about wanting to persuade me that this conspiracy is real. Um, and, you know, I found the best approach to this is just to say, look, you're an intelligent person. I really value what you have to say. It's 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 such a compliment to me that you've taken time out of your day to write me. Uh, and I just you know I wish you all the best in your life. And thanks for bringing this to my attention. They never reply again. Um, well, you're, you know,
0: listen, you're better than man than me. I just block them. I'm like get the hell <laughs> yeah, off my the page. That's the other. That's the second best strategy for sure. Yeah, I'm like you know my friend Richie Jackson. He's uh, Lady Gaga's uh, choreographer for the past like 15 years, and we were uh-huh. talking about it, and he was saying. It's a privilege for people to be on his page. It's a privilege for someone to be able to access or go onto to anyone's social media account. And you don't have to accept everyone and you don't need to allow someone to be on your page. And um, when somebody wants to be negative or you should do this or the thought policing comes out, I just, I, and it's hard, right? Like I'm with you. When I first started to get a lot of people trolling me at first, I was like, you know, because I come from, I'm a, I'm a sober dude, right? So I've been a recovering drug addict over 18 years. And mm-hmm. part of what we're taught when we get sober is this idea of if one person says you're an asshole, then, you know, they may be the asshole. If two people say it, you know, you may be. And then three people say it, uh, well, you're probably the asshole, right? That's the old right. saying that happens in day-to-day life. However, on social media, there's all, there's, I mean, When you have thousands of followers, there's going to be a lot of people calling you an asshole from time to time. Not the majority, but some. Yeah. And I always operated in like, oh, okay, well, in the past, is there some truth to this? Like, is there a part of me that I'm not seeing? You know, I don't want to upset anyone. I don't want to. But what I found is it's best to always stay true to whatever you think, feel, want to express because as soon as you get into uh-oh or will people like me for being me or expressing me the way I want to express myself that's when you start to lose yourself and that's when you start to be wrapped up in this idea that you need to only portray certain parts of your life and you can't totally be yourself and i've i find it happens a lot with people who are trying to grow their brands and businesses, you know, even today you have Yelp reviews. Um, yeah. you know, I have people in, in the, the thing is people control any way, way they want. I mean, I have books that have come out on Amazon. There's people who can review it and I know they did it, reviewed it at one star just cause they don't like me. Right. They took the time and energy. They're going to rate yep. it a one star and they never even read the book cause they're not a verified purchase. And they also aren't even talking to what's in the book And they there's no regulation. There's no um, consequences. And I I wonder if at a certain point there's going to be some bigger regulation that happens. It's almost like there's um, a president of the Internet or something like there's (laughs) it's going to be this separate society. Right.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because people are now debating, especially on social media, whether there's a, a need for greater moderation on those platforms uh, in terms yeah. of what's happening. And so, it's it's an interesting question. But what's interesting is that since the start of the internet, people have been moderating stuff, uh, and so it's really not that controversial. You know, the first chat rooms and blogs—they all had moderators to make sure that things are right. nice and yeah. And so, um, yeah, no, that's very interesting. Uh, but it's you know it, it is a difficult it is a difficult problem to deal with you know when I in my in my public role as as uh, trying to explain science to people I, I sometimes engage on Twitter when people say oh well, you know you're fake news or, or you know what do you what do you know and it's kind of like listen I'm not telling people what they what's true and what's false i'm trying to help people spot the misleading techniques so that they can make their own judgment yeah. and and so, sometimes that's great and sometimes you just notice that people are just trolls and, and all they want uh is to to drag you down with them in some weird discussion and then you just you know as you said either, either you block him or you send him a nice yeah, message i had this um, woman
0: I, so every time i tweeted something on twitter i had this woman where like it was just like a image of the side of her face and i could say literally like You know, I I only post positive things, not because I'm positive all the time. I just don't think I need to add (laughs) like controversy uh, to, you know, to things. Um, And I remember like I would post, you know, something like, you know, I'd sit and meditate and then something would come to me and I would tweet out maybe like, you know, uh, this moment is what we have right now. Let's get into it. What can you tackle that you aren't currently or whatever, like some coaching strategy kind of thing. And every single time I tweeted, she would be like, Well, I think that's not the most important thing right now. The most important thing is love. Or she would <laughs> anything I did, it was like Yeah. So finally her name was like Diana or something. Mm-hmm. I just blocked her. I'm like, get off my page. You you add nothing yeah. to my life. Like, if you don't like what I'm tweeting. Girl, go follow someone else. You can, you know, I'm sure there's a Twitter page for coaches that love contradictions. You know, it's just I'm not gonna sign up for that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. You know, sometimes
0: I I say this because I also want the people who do follow me to realize like you don't have to like engage with other people. In fact, I think that's part of the problem that I see even with friends of mine on Facebook, like just constantly arguing and as where neither one is ever going to change their opinion. And both are just trying to feel smarter than the other person. And whenever I have a post like that, where I see two people arguing, I just remove it. I'm like, get off my page. Both of you like, why are you coming on my page, arguing with each other? Like, what are you guys don't even know each other?
1: That happens a lot, you know, on the for, on the blogs and the forums people have these flame wars of complete anonymous people who are below some post that's, you know, about something else start attacking each other on, on totally unrelated things and it's yeah, it's really interesting. I think my, you know, the best the way I like to think about it is that the best cure for all of this is is, is something that that we call actively open-minded thinking, and I, I I hope that we can all help each other to to um, you know cultivate more actively open-minded thinking because I think it is partly the cure to, to to you know all of this this polarization, and it just has to do with the fact that we're all in a state of just being open-minded about possibilities and, and, and not to the extreme, you know, Nietzsche once said, there are no facts, only interpretations. I don't think we have to go that far, but I think, you know, the idea is that, um, just being open-minded enough to to admit or recognize that you might be wrong, that other people might be wrong, that even people you do not like, that they might have good intentions sometimes and vice versa. Um, and that when you're confronted with content that you don't like, or that, you know, doesn't fit with your reality or your motivations, your worldview, to sort of think that, well, maybe I could be more open-minded about it. Is there some way that I can accept this? Um, is there some way that that I could have some doubt about what I believe? And I think it, it's good to have a little. Bit of, of healthy skepticism, sort of your your inner maybe it's even an inner inner scientist or whatever. That's that sort of questioning, you know, um, how confident should I be about everything that I know, and just leave a little bit of space um, to to allow for some possibility. And it's very different.
0: Yeah, go ahead. yeah. Sorry, Jim, but the game the game that you did with fifteen thousand people is that a game you can do with any group of people? And how long does the game take? And
1: yeah, absolutely. So we have a bunch of different ones. So I made intervention is called "Bad News," which is kind of a pun. And so you step into the shoes of a, a of a nefarious a fake news tycoon, uh, and it's a it's a simulation, and it allows you to to uncover the techniques that are used in media manipulation uh, more generally, uh, sort of all the things that we just discussed. Uh, it simulates a social media feed, so it simulates a Twitter, and you can start tweeting stuff, and you you start as an anonymous netizen, and then you grow out to be a uh, you know manager your own newspaper and really figure out how, you know, how, how this is all done. Um, cause you know, what better way is there to inoculate yourself than actually step into the shoes of somebody who's trying yeah. to deceive you. Um, it takes about 15 to 20 minutes. So it's, a, it's a bit of a, you know, time commitment for those who, whose attention span is quickly revolving these days. So it's, it's about 15 to 20 minutes. Um, it's called bad news, get bad news.com. You can, it's free. So, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a public initiative. It's free for anyone to, to access and play. We have, a uh, a version that we did for the US uh, uh, election, which is called Harmony Square. And that has a slightly different scenario. Harmony Square is the last democracy on earth. And your job is to just wreak havoc and, and try to distort uh, the election process um, to try to uncover um, some of the bad things that, that have been happening and, and allow people to understand how that works. It's called Harmony Square. And then we have one on COVID too called Go Viral. Um,
0: and both of those are shorter. They're about five to 10 minutes. And where can everyone find out all this information and follow you? What would be the best way?
1: Yeah, uh, one good way is, is Twitter. So I'm on, uh, on Twitter. It's uh, at Sander underscore VD Linden. Um, uh, you can also just Google my name. It should come up on my, my um, all right, I'll uh, university I'll follow you right pages.
0: now. I'm going to follow Dr. Sander Vander Linden.
1: Yeah, let me follow you back. Reciprocity, Mike. Reciprocity. Yeah, we're
0: into the reciprocity game. Uh, yeah. Well, listen, man, I really appreciate you coming on, Always Evolving, sharing with us uh, all this wisdom. I appreciate you cont- continued work. And as you find more findings, reach out to me and let me know, and we'll, we'll talk about it. Absolutely. Sounds great. Thanks for having me on, Mike. You got it, buddy. Cheers. Cheers. All right, everyone, thanks for... <laughs> Tune in to Always Evolving, and if you would like to join our free empowerment group, it happens every Tuesday. I have a different guest speaker. Last week was Dave Hollis. This upcoming week is Gretchen Rubin. You just go to coachmikebear.com, enter your email, and bam, you're gonna be available to uh, show up for our meeting. And you can also text me the word Empowerment, 310-984-1858. And if you want to work with me as your life coach, check out the book, One Decision, The First Step to a Better Life, which just made New York Times. And we'll be working together soon. All right, till next time, keep it magical. The Always Evolving with Coach Mike Bear podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a replacement or substitution for any professional medical, financial, legal, or other advice, diagnoses, or treatment. This podcast does not constitute the practice of medicine or any other professional service. The use of any information provided during this podcast is at the listener's own risk. For medical or other advice, Appropriate to your specific situation, please consult a physician or other trained professionals.